0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. The fifth commandment, the fifth commandment that was given to Mount, Mount on Mount Sinai to Moses, the fifth commandment of the almighty sovereign God says honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee in six words at the beginning of that command God arranged the entire societal order from the beginning of time until this present hour I know that's a sweeping statement and it can be sweeping because it was given to us And it can be this comprehensive because it was given to us by God himself. The God Almighty who gave us his word to tell us who he is and what he expects of us as humans. This is our third message on this short command uh, found in Exodus chapter 20 verse 12. This is one of those statements that reflects the incomparable depth of biblical wisdom. In 66 short books... The Bible's theme encompasses everything that human beings are. In one volume, God has told us the order of the entire created universe. And I don't know if you fully understand those claims, but they're the reason that people study the Bible for their entire lives, and yet they're never able to just get down to reach the bottom of the Bible's depths. And I understand that most people don't really have a clue of what I'm talking about. Here in the United States where Bibles are readily available, just about anybody that wants to have a Bible can own one, and yet we have an unmined, abundant treasure that it seems that nobody wants to look for, that nobody wants to touch. Even in our churches, the Bible is ignored, and we just don't pay attention to the most valuable thing that God has given us to possess, This is the Word of God that is sent down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to help you to understand that in these commandments, we have an excellent start on the compendium of Bible truth. The comprehensiveness of it touches the lives of every single person in every corner of the globe. And the reason that it's able to do that is because these are commandments that are innate within the human nature. These are creational laws. These are things that are written on the human heart before they were ever written down on on stone. Uh, From the beginning of time when God created Adam in the Garden of Eden, these were things that were put into the spiritual construct of man. And then at the summit of Mount Sinai, perhaps 2,500 years after the creation, God gave these laws in a written form so that we could read them and we could study them and reach understanding of why they are so convicting. They appeal to the innate human nature. By nature, you know that these things are right. This is what the Word of God says. In Romans 119, Paul just wrote, he said, these things about God are evident to people because God has made it evident to them. Well, if that's true, why are we so resistant to what God says in the commandments? Why is there this blatant disobedience to His commands? Well, Paul goes on and explains in the 18th verse of uh, Romans 1, that people hold the truth of God in unrighteousness. Uh, perhaps a better translation of that would be that they suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. In other words, they hold down truth. Now, the law convicts you because all of your life you've chosen to do what the natural heart desires to do. Your natural heart suppresses the truth. It's uncomfortable with the truth. And so the heart pushes back against it. It strains the heart when we're told to do what we ought to do. And so we fight against that. Ephesians explains it by saying we fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind and that we are by children or by uh, nature rather the children of wrath. Society is just upside down because we kick against this fifth commandment. Now the second half of the verse gives a great promise to those who will yield to it there's a promise for us if we will just obey it now by way of short review and what we've talked about in the previous messages we began by talking about the social issue that was the first thing that was in our outline it was about God's societal order and we discussed how the family is the backbone it's the glue that holds society together And this is the reason that Christians are are very concerned about family values and how our government defines the family, because we know as the family goes, so does society. But we also learned in the second part of the message that this is not just about the family, that God had more in mind than family. Family is the manifestation of the principle of the command. That's the chief object of it. But in that second point, I, I began to show you the scope of this commandment, that God speaks more here than just about family. So we talked about the scope that's involved. And the scope supports my proposition that in six words, that God has indelibly stamped the created order with a system of respect for authority. In every phase of our lives, there is an authority that we must yield to. And it starts with the authority of the created order. That's God. God. That God has authority over us. And we see that word honor in the beginning of the command in verse number 12. uh, That shows us that the word father refers to God. It also refers to God. Honor is the same word here in the scriptures that's translated in other places as glory. And what we learn in the first four commandments is that God is to be glorified. The expression of his glory is worship. Jehovah God, who gave us the commandments, must be worshipped because he is the only one true living God. And then honor also begins the 12th verse to show us that proper human relationships will honor God. That we are made in the image of God. And people that are made in God's image are to treat others as God intended for them to be treated. Now, there is that connection between the two, honoring God and honoring other people and treating them in the right way. And Jesus showed us how that happens when he said things like, well, when you clothe the naked and when you feed the hungry, when you give a drink to the thirsty, when you visit the sick, he said, if you do it to them, you have also done it unto me. Now, in the last message, I invited you to look at Ephesians chapter 5 and in the beginning of chapter 6, to see how that Paul explained the creational order of authority. And that authority, or that uh, order, rather, respects the duties that we have to our superiors, duties that we have to our inferiors, and duties to those that we treat as our equals. Now, that, the summation of the command is found in Ephesians 5.21, which says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So what is that order of submission? Well, the fifth commandment is the principle stated. And then in other parts of the scriptures, we find information that expounds the principle. If the entire explanation of this principle had been given to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, he wouldn't have tables of stone. He would have had a building of stone. And that's because there's just so much here, so much that it contains. And so the Bible gives us an explanation of principles that we find in the Ten Commandments and other parts of the Scripture that are written down, not in stone, but on, with pen and, and ink on pages of the rest of the Bible. So our task is to search the Scriptures to see what these principles are and how they apply. And we are Bereans, aren't we? And this is what we do. Bereans search the scriptures to see if these things are so. And so we look throughout the scriptures to find the application of these timeless principles that God put down on the tables of stone. Now, in the last message, we began to look at different areas of authority. Uh, We've talked about submission to political superiors. God said that we must submit to governmental authority, and that's hard to do. As we discussed about, uh, what, 45 minutes to an hour ago, it's very hard to do because there are just lots of things that our government does that we as Christians don't stand for. The next four years in our country may be very hard, and we hope that the new president will do his best to reverse many of the policies that have buried America in a sea of moral sewage. But if not, what are we to do? Submission is the command. We don't do better by resisting the government. We only add to the misery of it. We just keep praying that God will change things. We keep voting the right way, voting for change. And Romans 13 tells us to continue to submit to our government because even bad government is used by God to combat evil. Now, sometimes it's hard for us to see it that way, and and I admit that it is. Um, Our president himself is subject to, To the government of the United States. And maybe he'll come into the justice of what our Constitution says. That should be done about all the things that have been done in the past four years. Maybe he'll come under the justice if he doesn't follow the Lord. And if that happens then perhaps faith in our government will be restored. Next we talked about pastoral superiors. And I hope that you do feel a little bit better about this one than you do the government. That father also refers to those who have the spiritual oversight of us. Paul and John uh, use the language of family, of father and children, to describe the relationship that a pastor has to the people. Hebrews 13:7 says that we are to remember those who have the rule over us. The pastor is God's appointed steward over his inheritance, and the pastor is charged with faithfully executing the authority of God over his people but that doesn't mean that pastors are God. No, we're just the under-shepherd. We stand in the place of Christ, the one who is the great shepherd of his people. We're the under-shepherd to care for them as Christ cares for them. So you, as a part of this church, you are to recognize and you are to respect and obey that authority, that God has ordained that authority. And you are to submit to the one who watches for your soul. That's one of the most important relationships that you can have. His sphere is the spiritual, just as an earthly father's sphere is the physical. So the pastor is to your spiritual man what your own father is to your physical person. So we looked at those two very important areas of submission. And now in today's message, I want to give you the last two. Uh, There may be more than these two, but... Uh, this we'll, we're, we're content to let it stand with these following two examples that we have of authority. And the next one is one that you might not think of. And maybe you think it's a little bit unusual. And that is employment superiors. And so you might think, well, how odd that it is that we would talk about this. But this is also in the Bible. Did you know that it is a godly principle for you to submit to your employer? Now, this this fifth commandment also refers to the duty of employees to gladly honor and submit. Now, the way that the Bible teaches it is, well, it really kind of makes the modern reader uncomfortable. Let's take a look at that. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6, I'll show you what I mean. Uh, In Paul's progressive exposition of Ephesians 5.21, that we are to submit to one another... He goes through several levels of submission to reach this one that we find in chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And here he wrote, uh, Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Servants, be obedient to them that are your master's according to the flesh now notice how paul just adds this part according to the flesh and that's so that you don't get confused what his reference is now here he's not talking about a a spiritual application like that of submitting to the deity of christ submitting to the fatherhood of god or submitting to the pastor who stands in the place of god to teach you the word of god oh here he's speaking about an actual physical relationship of a slave to his master The ESV correctly translates this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And that is very uncomfortable for us, because we would think that it would only be natural for a slave to resist. And that's why this has to be told to us in the Word of God. This is something that has to be commanded, because this goes against the human nature to think this way. A slave ought to do his best to break free from his bondage because nobody has the right to rule over another person and put them into slavery. And I'm not going to argue that point. It took another 1,800 years for the civilized world to get rid of slavery. And eventually it was Christianity that pushed it out. But here in this text and in other places of Scripture, the writers deal with the system that is in place. There is no case here for slaves to be freed from their slavery. And we just look at that, and we wonder, how can that possibly be? I mean, shouldn't it be the place? Shouldn't this be the place for Paul to talk about the Christian principle of freedom? Is there a better place that he could do this than here? When he's talking about authority and submission, is there not a better place to say, we shouldn't be doing this? But here in this text and in other places of Scripture... The writers deal with this system that's in place. Now we wonder how can it be. But we look in other places of scripture. We go back to the very earliest times. In Genesis chapter 16. When Hagar escaped from Sarai. That God said. You return. You go back to her. And you submit yourself to her. In Psalm 123 verse 2. God compared the submission of slaves. To submission to him. And then. Maybe you're, I hope you are familiar with the New Testament, with the New Testament letter that Paul wrote to a Christian man by the name of Philemon, who had a slave who had run away from him. That slave's name was Onesimus, and Paul met Onesimus when he was in Rome, and Paul preached to him the gospel of Christ, and he was converted and became a Christian. And do you know what he told Onesimus to do? He said, return to your master. Go back to your master Philemon. Because that is your rightful Christian duty. That's a very puzzling thing. Now the key to this spiritual principle is to understand that submission is bigger than our personal feelings. Now in Paul's intent, or it was his intent, it wasn't his intent I should say, to undo the societal order because he knew that that would be very damaging to uh, Society would be very uh, damaging to the cause of the gospel because Christians were already in terrible disfavor. The, The gospel of Christ, Christianity was upsetting and Christians were then being blamed for every evil that took place in the Roman Empire. Whenever something bad happened in the empire, when there was a war that was lost, when there were problems, when people were oppressed and when things went bad, it was always the Christians who were at fault. And the reason they were at fault is because they were teaching that there is no Lord but Jesus Christ. And here are these people that worship hundreds of different gods. And there were Christians who said, well, there is only one God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you also had Caesar who said, I am the Lord. I'm your Lord. And he pretended to be a God. And yet Christianity stood against that. And so Christians were blamed. The Christians are upsetting the gods. That's the reason for our problems. Monotheism upset those that were making idols for a living. Remember that Paul caused an, a riot in Ephesus when uh, he spoke out uh, against people having their idols. And that upset the trade guild of the silversmiths because they were making all of this money uh, by making idols that they sold to people to worship all of these different gods. And so the Christians were in terrible disfavor at that time. And that had bearing on why Paul did not tell Christian slaves to run away. I've told you at other times that in those days, in Paul's time, 60% of the Roman Empire was in some form of slavery. And among those slaves were many, many Christians. And he said, stay right where you are. The masters would learn that Christians are not subversive. That Christians don't cause harm. Christians are, are, are good, obedient people. They will always faithfully serve. And so he told the slaves, you do this for now. And if you do this, God will take care of you and you'll have the favor of your master. So Paul is looking at this with the bigger picture in his mind. What is going to help the gospel of Christ to reach more people? What will help this and how are we going to gain more converts for the cause of Christ and thereby increase the numbers of people who would be opposed to slavery? So Paul's goal was to keep the gospel from being squashed right there in the first century and ended right there. And there was only one chance that slavery would end and that would be for the gospel to permeate society. And that is something that we surely do need to learn today. That government is never going to uphold spiritual, godly principles. It's not until hearts are changed that morality will change. And these Ten Commandments are the guide to take us through that. Until hearts are changed, people are always going to suppress the truth that God has written on the heart. And so changing government in some way to be in favor of Christians... That's not a legislative process. That's a gospel process. Faithful propagation of the gospel is the only solution to this. It's not churches lobbying the government with legislation. Now let's back up just a little bit to the point that that we have at hand, and that is that modern society does not live under that master-slave relationship any longer. Now Paul's point in Ephesians 6 is, is... more inclusive than that because his statements also include hired servants in other words he's telling us as Christian employees that we are to be submissive and that we are to be the best employees that there are if an employer learns that you're a Christian your application ought to go to the top of the list because they ought to know that Christians are diligent that they are trustworthy, they are hardworking employees, that they are people who keep accurate hours, they show up for work on time, they will work whether or not the boss is there, they don't steal the office supplies, they don't shoplift, they don't pocket the change from the customers. But is that the way that it works? Well, if it was, Christians would have 100% employment. But sadly, there are too many Christians that are just like the rest of the people. Maybe an employer might get a good one, but then maybe he won't. Christianity is not a factor in employment because Christians are just like the general population. Some are good, some are bad. Christians cheat, they goof off, they complain, they steal hours. They do the same thing that dishonest employees do. And I could go on with that. Jesus even illustrated the principle in some degree when he talked about disgruntled employees that bargained for a wage. But then when they found out that somebody else was getting paid more, they were very upset about that. And he said, you ought not to be upset about those things. And you might remember that the next time you go stand at a picket line. Ephesians chapter 6 also requires an attitude adjustment. Not only are employees to submit, but they're to do it gladly. And this is even though an employer might be unlikable. Do it gladly because the Word of God says this is service to the Lord. In other words, when you treat people better than they treat you, is that not a godly principle? Isn't that what the Word of God teaches us to do? Who treated you better than you deserve? You know who did that. There's no comparison to this. And if God treated you better than you deserve, why can't you do that for other people? That's the example that he gives us. And remember what the commandments are for. These are all a reflection of God's character. They teach us to be like God. Now, some of you might say then, well, this stuff, this stuff is just too overweighted towards the employer. Simmer down a little bit because God gave instructions for the boss too. If you are a Christian employer, your instructions are in verse number 9. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respective persons with him. In other words, God doesn't care if you're the employer or the employee. You're to live by his principles. Employers are not to mistreat employees. Years ago, I I, uh, owned a business. I had uh, about 15 employees. I sold the business sometime later, and uh, I happened to come across one of the men that worked for me several years before that. And he came up to me, and he wanted to speak to me, and he said, I just wanted you to know that you were the best person that I ever worked for. And I received that compliment because I made made it a practice in, in that business that I was as grateful for the employees as they were, to be employed. And I remember that I used to pay everybody on Friday, but this particular man's wife wanted to go to the grocery on Thursday. And I don't know why that was so important to them, but I made an effort to pay just this one man out of all the rest employees. I took time to do his payroll on Wednesdays so I could give him his check on Thursday so he could take it home to his wife and she could go on to the grocery. And you know, that's the thing that that man remembered most about me. I did something nice for him. Now, a little kindness goes a long way. The promise of this teaching is simply this. What is it that most reflects the attitude of Christ? What is the best testimony that we can give for his name? And the answer is is the principle Jesus gave. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the principle that begins with the fifth commandment. So now we have these three areas of submission. We have the governmental, the political uh, submission. We have the pastoral submission. We have employment submission. And that then brings us to the most recognizable part of this command. And that is, we need to obey the authority of our parental superiors. I want you to notice the connection between the first and second tables of the law through this verse that we find in Hebrews 12. It says, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence shall we not much rather be in subjection under the father of spirits and live this is a verse that's used to prove that the fifth commandment actually belongs to the first table of the law and that's because it's our duty to god or that duty to god is not fulfilled until we revere our natural parents so the commandment says honor them and when you consider again that honor means glory the same word that's used in other places to glorify god we have this same word glory honor there's almost this mystical spiritual attachment to the supreme affection that we are to have for our parents we're told to love god with all of our heart our soul and our mind And honor connects us to that so that we love our parents in the same way, that it consumes every part of our being. And the societal order demands this. And if we don't do this, then we're going to affect all the relationships that come below it. Because if you can't love in this very personal relationship that you have the parent to the child, child to the parent, how can you love in any other relationship? Now, Jesus taught that there would be a day that would come when a man would leave his father and his mother and he would cleave to his wife and they would become one flesh. The Bible says that she becomes bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And we always look at that scripture and we're always talking about the wife and that, uh, that, that relationship of husband to wife. But we don't take time to look at what he said just the first part of that that a man has to leave his father and his mother, which up to that point is the tightest relationship that we know. The father-mother relationship is the complete focus of a person's life until it's replaced in a man's life by the woman who becomes his wife, who becomes a part of his own body. And what I'm trying to tell you here is that there is no relationship that is like the one of a parent to a child, because that husband-wife relationship is in a totally different category. Because that's where two flesh become one flesh. They become one body. And so the parent-child relationship is tops in two-party relationships. Two people cannot be closer than a parent and a child in two-party relationships. And so we need to see then, what, what does the Bible mean when it says that we are to honor our parents? How are we going to express that honor? What does the Word of God expect from us as children towards our parents? How do we honor them? Let's talk about that next. How do we honor our parents? Well, the first way we can do this is by the way that we speak of them, our speech. Speak well of your parents. When you're away from them, you don't belittle them. Let people know how very, very special that your parents are to you. Now, remember, in that first table of the law, God says to reverence his name. And this connection that we have, the bridge between first and second table, is that word honor, which would also tell us that we are to respect the name of our parents, that we are to speak well of them, use reverence when we speak of them. A few weeks ago, I visited my mother in Kentucky, and I've mentioned her condition to you many times, that she has Alzheimer's. And those of you that are familiar with that disease, you know how how both sad And disheartening that it can be but at the same time sometimes it's humorous my mother does unexpected things she says some things that are just out there you never expect things that she would say it's hard sometimes not to laugh at her but I have to be very careful about that when when I talk that I don't appear to be mocking her I don't want to show her any type of disrespect because I remember what my mom did for me I remember when I was young how that, as I was growing up and going to school, that my mom always had breakfast on the table for me. And, and she always kept my clothes clean. She always took care of me. My mom treated me almost like an infant, all the way through high school, taking care of me at every moment. And so when I got married, my wife just looked at me and said, no, 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 that's uh, that, that's not going to happen any longer. Um, I'm your wife, not your mother. My dad was a lot different. He was different. He showed his love in other ways. I, re- I remember when I left home, that whenever he saw me, he would just perk up. When I moved to California, of course, I couldn't see him as often. And when I would go home to visit, he would always act like there was just nothing better in the world to see me come home to be with him. To this day, you've never heard me say a bad word about my father. When, when I was uh, little... Even when he took me to the woodshed, I didn't come out from there saying bad things about him. And most importantly, I knew that my dad loved me because he taught me the Bible. He taught me to love the Lord. And I knew how much it meant to him as I was growing up and getting older to see me serve the Lord. And I can testify as a parent now that the the nicest, the best, most treasured card most treasured card that I ever got from one of my children was when my, when my oldest daughter gave me a card that said, thank you for taking me to church. Thank you for never compromising that we would always be in church. She said, what you taught me has caused me to always take our kids to church. No excuses. She got that from me because I got it from my dad. Speak well of your parents let me add this to it, that your parents may not be perfect. Your, your childhood might not have been as good as mine, quite different from mine. Maybe your childhood doesn't give you the best memories. Still, in some ways, you do have to be careful about what you say because there could still be something that you could learn. And I, I'm not discounting the fact that there are some of you that could never learn anything from your parents, that they were they were abusive towards you, they didn't show you any kind of love, and so we just have to admit there are some parents that just do not deserve any kind of respect. But there may be others of you that are yet to learn that stern parents are not necessarily bad parents. Someday you might learn the value of the strict methods that they use. Now, when we get to be grandparents, we're very soft. We're we're easy on the grandkids. My son-in-law in San Diego is career navy. He's a Navy chief. He has little patience for screw ups. And so he really disciplines those kids. And there are times when I'm down there in San Diego, I'd like to take a nightstick and just beat the living daylights out of that guy. But his discipline has not caused those children not to love him, they respect the discipline. Next, we're to honor our parents in our behavior. How you act is a reflection on your parents. I loved my mom and dad enough that I wouldn't do anything that I thought would damage the reputation. You know, teenagers get in a lot of trouble. And I always drew the boundary. I always had this limit that if this thing was going to hurt the reputation of my dad, and he was the pastor of the church, if it's going to hurt the reputation of my dad, this is where I stop. I obey him. My biggest fear was always that I was going to disappoint him. I mean, he could beat me to within an inch of my life if he wanted to. But if he ever said, I'm disappointed in you, that was the hardest thing to endure. I mean, I would rather have him beat me and flay my skin off my bones with a cat of nine tails than for him to say, I am disappointed in you. Now, the principle that Christ has for his people is that we are to love others better than self. Look, look to them first. Think of them first. And who could you think of more first than your own parents? Who deserves more honor than them? So before you do anything, think of your parents. Now, be aware of this, that, that children and teenagers are not the entire focus of the command. I'm also speaking to adults. My father has been dead now for 18 years and I'm almost as old as he was when he died. And there are still things that I will not do because of the memory of him. I don't want to hurt his reputation even though he's been dead for 18 years. And I know that my obligation to the Lord is primary, but I respect him. So I don't want to hear, have anybody that hears me preach would say about me, how could a good man like Gerald Smith ever have a sorry son like that? Oh, he faithfully preached the Word of God, whether people liked it or not. And he taught very difficult doctrines, and he never shied away from the study of the Word of God. And I don't want to be less than that, because I don't want to step into the pulpit and draw shameful comparisons between me and him. How could you do that when your father was like that? Now, you wonder sometimes how I throw out some topics without any fear of repercussions. I learned that from my dad. That the word of God has no need to be covered up in its difficult parts. You just keep on preaching it. There's no fear of reprisal here. It's God's word. So you never hear me say anything bad about my dad. I attribute my preaching to him. If anybody listens to me and says, Well, he must have been a good man because of what you preach. Then my behavior for him has satisfied this fifth commandment. I've honored my father. Thirdly. We are to honor our parents with obedience. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. Now, I'm not going to say very much about this one, because I intend to take this up in the next message. Someone has given us a pattern for obedience, and that's what I want to talk about next time. But this is not a hard concept do what your parents tell you to do. When you don't want to do it, do what your parents tell you to do. There there are times that, that parents bring their children to me and they come to talk about salvation. I'm always very careful to make sure that children understand sin. If you don't understand sin and the consequences of it, then you can't understand salvation. And so I always ask a child, If you disobey your parents, is it sin? And do you know that question they never miss? There are a lot of other ones they don't get right, but they don't miss this question. If you disobey your parents, is it sin? They always say yes, and that's because that's a principle that's written on the human heart. And children can be taught to learn what's written on the heart. But then we know that sometimes, sometime around 12 13 years old, it gets scrubbed off the heart in some way because teenagers don't seem to know that disobedience is sin. You ever notice that, those of you that are parents? Now let's go back to Romans chapter 1 because this is one of those innate laws that we suppress. In verse number 30, it shows up in as a characteristic of the reprobate mind. Uh, there's a list of these Terrible characteristics, and I just want to break into one of Paul's thoughts to read about it. We, we looked at it just a little bit last week. Romans one twenty nine and 30. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. And there we see that disobedience falls into this nasty list of very bad company. So how do we miss this? How do we miss how bad this is? But but I, I have more to say about that later. Be prepared to talk more about obedience. So let me just finish today with one other way that we show honor. As I said, there might be others, but we'll let it stand right here with this fourth point. That lastly, how do we honor our parents? We do it by support. This is for older children that have left the home. We may have left the home, but we never walk off and leave our parents. Honor is not about 18 years and then it's all over with. Family works in this way, that parents nurture children and they raise them and they support them until they're ready to go out on their own. And then children return that favor of love and care and support when their parents are too old to take care of themselves. One of Jesus' chief complaints against the Pharisees was their hypocritical excuses for not taking care of their parents. And so Jesus modeled what should be done. And perhaps one of the tenderest moments of selflessness was when our Lord went to the cross and he was concerned about his mother. Now I'd like you to turn, if you would, to John chapter 19 so we can look at it. In his hour of death, Christ's mind was on weighty, significant problems. There was the sin of the world and the abandonment of his father. There was the pain and suffering of hell that had been placed on this one who was the Holy One. And in that moment of his death on the cross, in those moments, there was also another great concern, a, a major concern for him. In his shame and his agony as he was hanging on the cross, there were people that just looked at him. There were people that stared at him. They were spectators. Of the death of the cross. They, they, they stared at him as he was dying. But Jesus wasn't so much concerned about people that were watching him die. As he was this one particular person who saw him. And as if to make the agony that much worse. It was his mother that was watching. Now You need to know the heart of Jesus. That he was concerned that watching him die was such agony to his mother. See Jesus understood the heart of man. He, he knew what would go on. In a mother's heart, if she had to see something as terrible as this, she just has to stand there and watch her son die. And understand this, that Jesus would rather suffer and die for you than to see it happen to you. How much would he rather die than to see this happen to his mother, to see her go through this pain? And so we look at verse number 29, and it tells us, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he saith to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. Let me help you understand verse number 26. Jesus said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. He wasn't telling her to look at him. Oh, the pain of looking at him was too much. That's too hard to bear. He's referring to John. Read, read on in verse 27. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. Now, what Jesus wanted to be sure of was that his mother would be well taken care of. And so he did two things to ensure that. He told her to look at John because he would become like a son to her. And then he said to John, You take her into your home and you treat her just like she is your mother. And that's where we see the tender compassion of the Savior that he knew that his mother was grieved for him. All scholars agree that Joseph's not in the picture here, that he'd already died by this time. And so Mary was without support. And you remember that Jesus' brothers didn't believe on him until after the the resurrection. And so what Jesus did here was not to commit his mother's welfare to those brothers who didn't believe in him. But to John, a faithful disciple, because he knew that John would do what was asked of him. That he would take care of his mother. So he looked to the disciples he loved. Jesus was not going to be able to help. He was going to die. His mother would be left without support, and so he was concerned to take care of his mother. Now listen, folks, we cannot abandon our parents when they get old. They can't become too big of a burden to us to bear so that we say, Well, we can't be bothered with that. We've got our own lives to live. Let's let's do our thing. We don't need to worry about that any longer. Now, you be sure of this, that when I get too old to take care of this for myself, you send a copy of this sermon to my kids, please. Our parents took care of us, and they sacrificed for us. They did it when we were helpless. They were always there. And isn't it like Christ to take care of the helpless? But many think, that's not our responsibility to do it. So the family's broken down. Society's upside down. The, The fifth commandment is upended. Mom and dad go off to a nursing home. Nobody goes to see them. And so they're in a lonely place, and kids break their heart all over again. I'm 2,500 miles away from home, away from my mother. And because of my mom's condition, home care is not an option for her. And so I'm thankful that I have two sisters that go to see her regularly. Many, many times, often during the week, multiple occasions, they go and spend time with her. They'll go into a room, they'll decorate it for the holidays, change it for the different seasons. They take her gifts. When she feels like going out, they'll take her out, they'll spend her time to take her places. And you know the peculiarity of it? That with her disease, she doesn't even know from one day to the next what they did. She doesn't remember what happened yesterday. Sometimes she doesn't even know what happened an hour before. And so my sisters know, we're not going to get repaid for this. There's nothing here in this this for us except this. It's mom. And we want to take care of mom. That's the only thing that matters. So I want you to know about these things. How you speak about your parents. How you behave because of them. How you obey them. How you support them. Those are ways that the Bible teaches us to honor our father and mother. And you see the goal here is to be like Christ. Again, the Ten Commandments teach us to be like God. The first and second tables are linked by this fifth commandment, by this word honor, 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 honor. And we do all of this for the glory of God. And I'm glad it's that way, because if we do it this way, we're going to be the best that we can possibly be. Now let me just sum it all up with what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3. He said, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, and not unto men, knowing, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye the lord christ let's pray father we thank you for your word and how it can in just short statements teach us everything that we need to know that just in the in these 66 books one volume of scripture there is contained so much that can tell us how the world can be a better place how we can live in respect of one another and of course in respect of you Lord, help us as Christians to take all of this to our heart. And as we look at this fifth commandment and the duties that we have towards our parents, Lord, help us to respect what they've done for us, to love them, honor them, obey them, even when we get older, that we would never want to do anything that would tarnish our family name, but that we would be righteous and upright and stand for you in all things. And surely this is one of those. Honor our parents as we honor the Lord God. Help us to do that. Speak to some heart today. Convict someone today to, to make a change in their life about how they should treat others and how they should treat their parents and how we should honor Christ. Help us today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church,